So this guy, his name is Arthur Hyde. He lives on the Upper East Side with his family. And he records meticulously every bicycle trip that he takes over the course of three different years. And it spans thousands of miles. This is Evan Friss. He's written a couple of books about the cultural history of the bicycle. In the early days of cycling, a lot of bike enthusiasts liked to keep journals of everywhere they went and everything they did on their bikes. These were called wheeling diaries. And Professor Friss turned up the 1890s wheeling diary of a young man in New York City named Arthur Hyde. Arthur Hyde wrote down where he went and what he did. But maybe more interesting, he wrote down who he was with. There's Helen and Ethel and Lena, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's clear that he's using his bicycle to date women, to meet women. He teaches women how to ride bicycles. He bikes to ice cream shops, restaurants with women. And he uses his bicycle just to make calls on these women over and over again. The bicycle was the hot new technology at that time. It had only just been perfected in what we would regard as its modern form, with two equally sized wheels, rubber tires, brakes that actually worked. It was called the safety bicycle at first to distinguish it from previous forms of bicycle. And that name was in part a sort of marketing effort to make it seem less scary to ride a bike, so more people would try it. And in particular, women. As we see with Arthur Hyde, it turned out this cool new tech gizmo happened to be a great way to meet potential romantic partners. As the popularity of the bicycle boomed and more young people were riding and encountering each other out in the world on their bikes, it created this sort of brand new, exciting universe of courtship. You might think of going steady as something that started with teenagers in the 1950s, but the bicycle invented a new style of dating in its day one that was specific to the new technology. What we think of as typical dating where young couples are venturing out is often thought of as a 20th century phenomenon. But in my research, what I found was that in the 1890s, dating on a bicycle was actually quite common and popular. On the feet of a bicycle built for two. So the bicycle was this new technology that changed courtship and introduced you to people you might not otherwise meet and could sometimes even result in marriages, like it did for Arthur Hyde. Ultimately, this woman who he marries was a a woman that he courted via the bicycle. This is something that we can see throughout human history. A new piece of tech comes along, and if there's any way that we can figure out how to use it to romance people and to find a mate, we definitely will do that. The internet is, of course, no exception. So, Tom, have you ever tried online dating? I have not. I met my wife, as she is now, before the era of online dating. And the most old-fashioned way possible, we met through a mutual friend. We wrote each other letters, would you believe, for several months. Um, So so it's about as old-fashioned as you can imagine. What about you? I have. I, I, I broke up out of a long relationship in 2010, and I started dating again for the first time in a long time. Online dating apps had not really existed uh, the last time I'd been single. So it was this whole new world. And I had to learn the ropes of online dating. The fr- I put up a profile, and I did a lot of online dating over the next several 
years. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the most widespread way that people meet their partners is through friends of friends, like I did. And for heterosexual couples, that's very rapidly being caught up by online dating. Uh, Online dating, I think, is still the number two, but it's going to overtake probably the next couple of years. And for same-sex couples, it's already overtaken. Something like 75% of those couples get together through these uh, online apps and and, uh, and, and sites. So uh, that's a very rapid change in a very fundamental aspect of human nature that's happened really just in the past few years. Yeah, there's no doubt it's been a sea change in how humans meet potential romantic partners. And it can be a little overwhelming for the people who are caught up in online dating and trying to swipe right on their soulmates to figure out this new world. Lucky for us, though, online dating has some parallels in the past. And not just the bicycle. There are other technologies throughout history that have changed the way we flirt, the way we meet people. So I guess my question with all these technologies, including online dating, is if they change the way that we woo, do they also change the way we love? From Slate, I'm Seth Stevenson. And from The Economist, I'm Tom Standage. Welcome to The Secret History of the Future. I want you to meet Natty. She's a single young woman living on her own in a big American city in the 1870s. Natty works as a telegrapher. She uses Morse code to deliver other people's messages down the telegraph wires. And she kind of loves her job. She could wander away through the medium of that slender telegraph wire on a sort of electric wings to distant cities and towns where, although alone all day, she did not lack social intercourse. Natty is a fictional character. She's the protagonist of a wonderful old novel that was a big hit in its day. The book is called Wired Love, a romance of dots and dashes. And it was published in 1880. It's basically a rom-com about young Natty's romantic adventures in an exciting new technological world. If you know the movie You've Got Mail, which is about a romance over email, you know the basic plot of Wired Love, which came a century before. What happens in Wired Love is that Natty ends up flirting with someone she's never met in person by using a modern electronic communications device. In Natty's case, that modern device is the telegraph. Yes, telegraphy has its romantic side. It would be dreadfully dull if it did not. One day, when Natty is working at the telegraph office, and she's kind of bored, she strikes up a chat with another bored operator who's at a different station down the line. And they hit it off. They have this cute, teasing conversation. And from then on, Natty and this other telegrapher start chatting over the telegraph line whenever no one else is using it. And it becomes a way for them to just talk with each other during their workday. But because they're in different places, they can't see what each other looks like. And Natty is very curious about what this other person looks like and whether it's a he or a she. There certainly is something romantic in talking to a mysterious person unseen and miles away, thought Natty. Natty knows this other person on the telegraph only by the initial C, and she finds C quite charming and funny, and she's developing a bit of a crush on C. But because this is over the telegraph line, it's kind of a weird situation. C was certainly entertaining over the wire, whatever he might be in a personal interview. She wasn't sure what C would be like in real life. There might be a romance brewing, but the two people involved hadn't yet met each other in person. No, it was all over the wire. This is what was so new about the telegraph when it came along. 
For the first time in history, you could have a chatty, in-the-moment, back-and-forth conversation with someone who is at a distance from you and unseen, which was both exciting and sometimes a little confusing. Wired Love was written by a young American woman named Ella Cheever Thayer. She'd actually worked as a telegraph operator at a hotel in Boston before she wrote the novel. She gave her lead character, Natty, the same profession. And telegraphy was actually a pretty common job for women of that time for various reasons. It was considered suitable for women because it wasn't too strenuous and they could sit at a table to do it. And if there weren't too many messages going in and out, they could always do some sewing or some knitting. I'm not making this up, by the way. This is what people said to justify why it was a suitable job for women. Um, The other thing was that you could segregate the female telegraph operators in a different room in the telegraph office and keep them away from the, the male telegraph operators who, let's be honest, didn't have a particularly wholesome reputation. But, of course, although the women were physically separated from the men, they were in direct contact with them over the wires. Um, A lot of the the telegraph operators were, were young men and women. They were just faster. That's Laura Otis, an English professor at Emory University, who's written about wired love and the social impact of the telegraph. And there are a lot of parallels to the, you know, everything that's happening with technology today, um, that you're here with these people that you know, they move fast, they thought fast, they could do Morse code, they were sending everybody's messages. Um, they would, you know, they would all have been designing new cell phones today. Only a select group of trained operators had access to the telegraph wires. But for those who did, it was a little like being on the internet in its early days. There was kind of a bond that forms between all these young men and women who were conversant in this new technology, and they naturally ended up socializing over the wire. The companies officially forbade the operators from sending personal messages over the line. Um, but there would be times when, you know, nobody who was paying to send a message through, there was nothing happening. And, of course, people just got bored and, and would start, you know, be the equivalent of texting people today. Even the abbreviations that were used by telegraphers then and by people on mobile phones today are remarkably similar. So, for example, today you might say BRB if you were going off to do something else, and telegraphers would say SFD if they were about to stop for dinner. Similarly, telegraphers would say GA for go-ahead when they were ready to receive a message. And uh, there are a couple that we know that Natty uses in the story. So she says HA or HA when something's funny, and we know that telegraphers did tell jokes to each other online. And then she also uses quite a common abbreviation GM for good morning. And that, again, we know is quite widespread. So you get these very similar behaviors at about sort of 150 years distance on different electronic platforms. Um, The way people use them seems remarkably, remarkably familiar. When the telegraph first appeared in the 19th century, it marked a dramatic shift in the way we communicate. It introduced a tone and a mood that were completely different from what it felt like to send someone a letter in the mail. Communication is just going to be a different experience if you have to, if you write a letter, and then you have to wait days for the response. Um, I mean, the emotions that you had at the time that you wrote the letter are going to be gone. You may not even remember how you felt at the time you wrote the letter. By the time the response comes, with the telegraph, emotions could run much hotter. The spontaneity changes the nature of communication. Not everyone on the telegraph used the wires to flirt back and forth with an unseen person at the other end of the line. But some telegraph operators did, including our fictional protagonist, Natty. And you can imagine how this new mode of communicating would have lent itself to romance. You could engage in clever, seductive banter in a way that would feel much more heated and immediate than an exchange of letters would. 
And the thing about flirting over the telegraph with some stranger who's out there in the electronic ether is that it's a lot like what happens when you start chatting with someone over an online dating app. Once you've connected with someone on a dating app like Tinder or Hinge or Bumble and you've both swiped right or whatever and you know you're a match, the next step is you start texting over your phones to each other to flirt, just like Natty texted over the telegraph with her unseen beau. You try to charm the other person. You wonder what the other person is really like, but you've never met the person, so there's still a lot of mystery. What's amazing about Natty's story in Wired Love is even though it's prefiguring online dating by more than a century, what happens to Natty perfectly encapsulates a lot of the terrific things, and also some of the not terrific things, about the process of connecting with someone on an online dating app. When we meet Natty, her dating prospects seem limited. She goes into the telegraph office every day, but she works her shifts by herself, so there's no one to go on her lunch break with. There's one guy who lives in Natty's boarding house who seems to have an intense crush on her and stalks her in the hallways, but he's really dorky and Natty's not into him. But then Natty meets this person, C, and he's not at her office, he's not in her neighborhood, he's out there on the telegraph wire. So Natty's potential dating pool suddenly changes when she gets on the telegraph. And when she starts flirting with C by Morse code, it also happens in a zone of privacy. It's not something that her nosy landlady, for instance, or anybody else in Natty's regular life can observe. When she's on the wire, Natty's free to be herself, or even to reinvent herself, which turns the telegraph into Natty's dating app. Do you remember when you first started online dating or your first online date? Yes. Um, I had just gotten out of a really long relationship that predated online dating. This is Jen. You can think of her as a counterpart to Natty, our single gal from the 1870s. So when I was looking to start dating again, I was actually, I wouldn't say eager, but I was kind of intrigued by the online dating thing. Jen, who is not a fictional character, lives and works in modern-day New York City. And a few years ago, when she found herself on her own and hoping to meet someone, she decided to try online dating. It seemed to me like it was going to be a lot easier than it had been the, the last time I'd been dating, just because there are all these, you know, men out there on my phone at my fingertips. And so, I would, like I said, I wouldn't say I was eager, but I was kind of interested to see what it was all about. Jen saw online dating as a great opportunity to meet someone. And it is that for lots of people. It also sometimes feels like a radical change in how we connect, like a totally new thing that we're grappling with. But as we've seen from Wired Love, in some ways, there's nothing new about online dating. A lot of what Jen experienced, Natty experienced using the telegraph. My thesis is that online dating is similar in that you could meet people through an online dating service that you would never have met. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been in whatever bars you go to. They aren't in your workplace. They aren't friends of your friends. I think that's definitely true. Um, I didn't really know where I would meet someone. So it seemed like, this is great. I have this giant pool of people I can sift through and say, who would I like to meet? At the end of the day, it just gives you so many more options that you wouldn't have if, if you know, that weren't out there. Like Natty, Jen wasn't limited to meeting someone in her neighborhood or at her workplace. She could go out on the wire, in this case, the internet, and find a whole other pool of people where she could look for her version of C. And just like Natty on the Telegraph, Jen could control how she wanted to present her identity on these dating apps. And when she flirted with people on the apps, it wasn't something her coworkers would need to see or know about, or even something that her friend group would need to see or know about if she didn't want them to. Did you feel like online dating gave you a kind of 
privacy because it's sort of away from people at work and away from family, away from friends. So if you go on an online date with a total stranger outside your social circles, it's sort of like less downside risk. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely felt that. Um, And I also felt that you could really be yourself. There was no expectation of what you would be like, you know, in the same way that there may be if it's a friend of a friend or someone you know from work. But overall, I would say the feeling was that it's like a way to conduct your personal life outside of the other aspects of your of your life. Are you a little bit shy? Did you find online dating helped you if you're like a shyer person? Is it kind of helpful? Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely an introvert. I find it very difficult to sort of assert myself in group situations. And so the idea of having, you know, this very specific meeting time, meeting point, you know, you know, to some extent what you're walking into, and then you're going to have a one-on-one conversation with someone as opposed to, you know, being evaluated in a, in a larger setting was hugely helpful to me. Tom, you can imagine how telegraph chats would have had a very welcome new kind of pace if you were a shy person and you feel more comfortable writing things to somebody rather than saying things to someone who's sitting right in front of you. That's the case for Natty, our 19th century protagonist, who's very bookish and feels more at ease over the telegraph than she did in person. And that was also the case for me on online dating apps because I, I didn't feel comfortable walking up and hitting on somebody in a bar, but I did feel very comfortable composing a written message over an app and then arranging for a date in a slightly more formal way. Something about that anonymity and the disintermediation that happens when you communicate electronically was really appealing to an introvert like me. And of course, there's a big debate about anonymity. Is it good? Is it bad? And in some cases, it's clearly a good thing. If you're you know, a member of a repressed group and you can't really express yourself and you can't really be yourself, then anonymity can be very empowering and uh, allow people to express themselves in ways they otherwise couldn't. But at the same time, anonymity can be bad. People can hide behind it to do bad things and to, you know, to troll people and attack people. So you can hide behind anonymity to do something not so great. And I think the anonymity that the internet affords is very similar to the anonymity that the telegraph afforded. And in both cases, that can lead to a lot of complications. One of the things people say about dating apps, there's a sort of moral panic. Oh my God, this is making people promiscuous. This is really terrible. People said the same thing about the bicycle in the 1890s. There was this concern that bicycles, particularly for women, were very unsuitable, that you know women would become too muscly, they would look too male, it would make them infertile. Um, all of these things very clearly are men fearing their loss of control <laughs> over women and blaming the technology. And that's exactly what we see with dating apps as well. Uh, I don't think we should be worrying about that whatsoever. Where I think there is cause for concern is the way that some people behave on these apps. And friends of mine who've used them, women in particular, say that, you know, men can be very aggressive. They can send them, you know, unsolicited messages or or pictures. So that can make people feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, the thing that was always unsettling for me was just how many people there were on these apps. And that could create a paralysis of choice where you're overwhelmed by the just the sheer number of profiles you're trying to sift through. And there are people coming onto the apps and people logging off of the apps every day. It's a little disconcerting. And I think in general, just the whole culture of online dating can sometimes encourage bad behavior. But I think a lot of the big problems with online dating stem from this really fundamental fact about the technology, which is that you're wooing people you've never met and never seen in person who are just out there on the internet. And there's nothing stopping those people from misrepresenting themselves in ways big and small. There was, there was a guy who had five kids. I felt like that should have been noted. <laughs> Just didn't mention that in the yeah. profile. 
Like, if you have one kid, okay. Five's <laughs> a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, that's a salient detail about someone. And actually, on the safety issue, he wanted to drive me home from that date. And I was like, no, I'm not getting in a car with you. Sorry, Dad of Five. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Next time. It was a big <laughs> suburban, which made sense <laughs> once he told me he had five children. <laughs> There's a very obvious danger to interacting with someone who you can't see and you haven't met before. And that's true not just with online dating, but also with the telegraph. There's the possibility that the person you're talking to is not who they seem, maybe in a relatively innocent way, or maybe in a more dangerous way. Here's Laura Otis, our telegraph scholar. I mean, you can't know who you're, you're talking to, really, and people can impersonate other people. You don't, you don't know for sure whether the person's telling the truth, what the person looks like. Say if there were a well-meaning family, you know, anybody could telegraph and say, hi, you know, it's your nephew, Fred, that I'm in trouble. You know, please send money to this telegraph office. And somebody might go for that. The key attribute of the telegraph, the fact that you're communicating remotely, is what allowed these scams to flourish. There are a lot of things that might cause a gut response in you if, if you were sitting down at a table with that person that you're not getting. Um, and so there's the excitement of, you know, being willing to take a chance on someone, but not knowing for sure who you're talking to. Telegraph scams were actually something that happened with some frequency. Someone you didn't know could strike up a relationship with you over the wires and gain your confidence. And then at some point, a telegram arrives saying, help, I'm stuck in an unfamiliar city and I need some money or it's an emergency or something like that. And because you've developed what you think is a relationship with this person, you're tricked into wiring them some money, which was another new thing that the telegraph made possible. So this was quite a well-known scam. And in Wired Love, our telegraph novel from 1880, there's a similar type of scam that gets run on Natty, a sort of identity theft. So um, the plot thickens when um, someone finds out that C and Natty are communicating um, and a sleazy guy, like he has red hair and lots of jewelry and he reeks of bear grease and, and he's a very sleazy character. He comes to her town and says that he's C and starts making moves on her, coming on to her, and she's horrified and repulsed. Natty has developed this flirtation with C at the other end of the telegraph line, but she's never yet seen him in person. And then one day, this guy shows up at her office in real life and says, hey, I'm C. And the guy is kind of gross-looking and annoying, and Natty is incredibly disappointed. With a start, Natty looked up, and scrutinizing him more particularly, saw a short, rather stout young man possessing an air of cheap assurance. Could she reconcile C, her visionary, interesting, witty, and gentlemanly C of the wire, with this musk-scented being of greasy red hair? Impossible! I will never be interested in people again, unless I know all about them. Imagination is too dangerous a guide for me. Natty manages to extricate herself safely from the situation, but she's one of the lucky ones because scams over the telegraph had lots of real victims. And these days, scams over the internet using fake identities are rampant. There's even a name for it, catfishing. And one place on the internet that these scams happen a lot is on dating apps. You might connect with someone on a dating app, but you don't realize it's a fake profile or even a bot. And this person will strike up a relationship with you over the app. And after you've become attached to them, but before you've met in person, they'll try to manipulate you into sending them some money. 
And the numbers here, I was really quite surprised to see how big they are. In 2018, it was $143 million was conned out of people. uh, And this was in 21,000 cases. This is self-reporting by consumers. So it's probably much bigger than that. But the striking thing is, this is the biggest category in terms of dollars lost when it comes to online scams. This is terrible, and it's a real problem. You can imagine how foolish you'd feel if you were tricked in this way. And older people tend to be the most likely victims. For most people who online date, though, the danger is less that you're going to be tricked into sending someone money and more that you're going to trick yourself into idealizing this person you're flirting with over the app who you've never met. And then when you do meet them, they could never possibly live up to this image that you've created for them. It's sort of a scam you run on yourself. Whether it's online dating apps now or connecting with someone over the telegraph in the 19th century, the technology encourages you to do all this imagining of the other person on the other end of the line before you meet them. And this actually happens with the telegraph flirtation in Wired Love. What kind of parallels do you see about the kind of romance that Natty and C develop over the telegraph and maybe the kind of romance that happens over modern online dating apps? The top... um similarity is the risk involved. Um, You know, they're taking an enormous risk. There's um, the exhilaration of communicating with someone and think, oh, I feel like I've met the other half of my soul, that this person is saying what I feel before I even know what I feel. After the scam, when a faker shows up pretending to be C and Natty gets rid of him, the real C, whose name turns out to be Clem, finally shows up in Natty's real life, which seems great at first, like the happy ending has happened. But then Natty realizes she has to deal with who C is in real life, instead of how C presented himself over the telegraph. And Natty also has to deal with the real Natty, instead of the Natty that she'd presented to C online. She sometimes felt that a certain something that had been on the wire was lacking now. One reason of this, she knew, was her own inability to conquer a sort of timidity she felt in his presence. It gets a little awkward. In fact, Natty and C feel so awkward in each other's physical presence that even after he's moved very nearby to her in the same city, they set up a telegraph between their apartments so they can talk over the telegraph instead of in person. Meeting each other face-to-face presents this whole set of complications that they weren't quite ready for. It turns out they still like each other in real life, but they find that it takes them a little while to get used to interacting. It's a lot like being excited to go on a first date with someone you met through an online dating app. And when you meet them, you really do like them. But face-to-face, you find you get a little nervous. And so do they. So maybe you text them later that night, after you've both gone home, to say, sorry, I was nervous. And they say, hey, sorry, I was nervous too. And you're back to that comfort now of chatting electronically. This transition between being on the internet and then suddenly being in person can be really weird. I mean, back when I was going on online dates, I remember I would look at somebody's profile and really quickly my imagination would start running rampant and I'd be spinning out this whole idea of what my life with them could be like and what we'd be like as a married couple, what our relationship would be like. This is all before I've ever met them in person. And then, you know, when we do meet up for a drink or something, a lot of times, like, 10 seconds in, when I start talking to them, this fantasy completely dissolves. And there's zero chemistry between us. And I don't like how I'm acting around them. I don't like what they're bringing out in me. And the whole fantasy just crumbles. And you're left feeling sort of foolish 
and empty. And it's amazing that that's exactly the process Natty goes through with C, not quite to that extent, but she has this whole image of C in her mind. And then when he shows up in her real life, she has to recalibrate who C is to her. There is this really amazing passage in Wired Love that's a century before its time. It essentially predicts people romancing over mobile phones. We will soon be able to do everything by electricity. Who knows, but some genius will invent something for the especial use of lovers. Something, for instance, to carry in their pockets so when they are far away from each other and pine for a sound of that beloved voice, they will have only to take up this electrical apparatus, put it to their ears, and be happy. Ah, blissful lovers of the future. Oh, wow. I had no idea they were predicting kind of like handheld dating devices or handheld communication devices as long ago as that. That's amazing. Yeah, and it, it makes you wonder what the future holds for us in terms of technology and dating. What, what should we be predicting right now? Yeah, it's a hard one because if you think about technologies like VR and AR and, you know, Facebook thinks that we're all going to be playing ping pong together in these sort of virtual chat room kind of things. On the one hand, they're more realistic. You can get more cues about what someone's like from you know, the way they stand and the way they look and so on. On the other hand, you can also lie about what you're like even more convincingly because, you know, just look at Snapchat filters and things like that. You can be a lizard or a cat or whatever you want to be. So I really don't know whether they're going to kind of make things better or worse. They're going to give people more control over the way they present themselves. And some people will be more honest and some people will probably be less honest. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, with all of this stuff, from online dating to VR or whatever, it's all about just who are you going to meet? What is the pool of people on this technology that you're going to meet? And then at what point do you move from the virtual to face-to-face? Because once you actually are in the same physical space, then it's like the oldest story in time. And at that point, I think biology kind of takes over. There's this ineffable thing about love that I think is just unchanging and eternal. So Ella Cheever Thayer described this novel Wired Love back in 1880 as the old, old story in a new, new way. And I think that's a great way to describe online dating too. It's just an old story in a new way. And people, you know, use these technologies and they fall in love. And Tom, when two people fall in love and they love each other very much, what happens? Well, in lots of cases, they get married. And there were definitely marriages that took place between telegraph operators in real life, and not just in a novel. And in fact, sometimes those marriages themselves took place over the telegraph. There are quite a few examples of this documented from the 19th century. And there's a lovely example, in fact, where everyone on the telegraph line, all of the operators along the line are listening in, and they're sort of virtually attending the wedding. And in fact, the earliest telegraphic wedding seems to go back to the 1840s in Boston, which is about as early as you could possibly have done it. The telegraph's only just been invented and someone's already using it for an online wedding. Obviously, telegraph operators were a very small part of the community, but, you know, what the geeks do today, everyone else does tomorrow. Um, And that's what happened here. The final scene of Wired Love takes place in Morse code, even though Natty and Clem are in the same room, because they decide that's the proper way to cement their relationship. We must end this romance of dots and dashes as it commenced to make it truly Wired Love. True enough, so we must, answered Clem merrily. And rising, he went to the key with his eyes looking straight into Natty's and wrote something that made her blush and seize his hand in shy and unnecessary alarm. In the book, 
What Clem telegraphs to Natty is printed in Morse code. And when you translate it, you realize that Clem is asking Natty to marry him. Online dating can result in marriage too, of course. Almost all of us at this point know couples who met online and then got married. And there's evidence that couples who meet online are happier and stay together longer. Among those contentedly married people is Jen, whose online dating story took some twists and turns, but resulted in a happy ending. You know, I was at a time in my life where I really wanted to be in a relationship. And, you know, it gave me the sense, like, it's, it's possible. Like, there's a huge pool of people out there. Like, there's got to be someone out there. Even, like, at, at the most, like, miserable points when I, would, you know, would go on a series of dates where I was just like, ugh. Um, I always felt like, you know, keep plugging away. Like, th- th- sooner or later, this has got to work out. Okay. Um, did you eventually meet someone who you got serious with? Yes. <laughs> who was the person that you ended up meeting and staying with? You. <laughs> <laughs> yes, listener, I married her. I'm Seth Stevenson. And I'm Tom Standage. The Secret History of the Future is a joint production of Slate and The Economist. It's produced by Bart Warshaw and Kate Holland. The senior producer for Slate Podcasts is TJ Raphael. The senior managing producer for Slate Podcasts is June Thomas. The executive producers are Gabriel Roth, the editorial director for Slate Podcasts, and Anne McElvoy, the head of audio at The Economist. Special thanks to our voice actors, Eliza Bent as Natty and Henry Grabar as Clem. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Secret History of the Future. But in the meantime, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 